0: money, social networks, our reputation, our credit score, each one of
1: these is right now managed by a centralized corporation. We're not naive. We want to be able to control funds. We want to be able to recover from all sorts of human errors in a way that we have come to expect.
2: Hi, I'm Alex Cohen. And alongside my co-host, Nathan Jeff, I we welcome you to Zero Barriers, a six-part series on Decentralized with Cointelegraph podcast. This special is being brought to you in collaboration with Starkware, the company developing Starknet. Together with various participants from the Starkware ecosystem, members of the Cointelegraph team will explore how to break down the barriers to mass adoption of the blockchain technology. Get ready to unlock limitless possibilities. That's right. There are zero barriers.
3: Welcome to Zero Barriers. The barriers to blockchain adoption are coming crashing down one by one, and that's our big topic for the next six episodes.
2: Yes, thank you, Nathan. We're kicking off episode one with two very known figures from the Ethereum community, Uri Kolodny and Eli Ben-Sasson. Thank you for joining us.
3: Yep, these two started Starkware. They lead the company today, and they're actually talking from our company's brand new office near Tel Aviv. Ellie's taking a break from his treadmill, or he's called a truce to the dad jokes, and we're going to actually be speaking blockchain. Um, Before we started, Alex and I were talking about a few things. We were talking about Vitalik's uh, steps to ensure the future of Ethereum. We were talking about how we're supposed to be in a bear market, but there's so much news, so much going on at the moment. So Alex, get us started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Well, there's a lot of things happening despite the bad and challenging times, arguably. I mean, for example, Bitcoin is, let's say, pulling off a an Ethereum through the use of ordinals, experiencing the high transaction fees and things of that nature. But meanwhile, Ethereum continues uh, to grow. It kind of attempts to lead the way for the industry in terms of development. And yes, as you mentioned, for example, Vitalik, uh, earlier in June, pan-day blog talking about how roll-ups are the natural next step uh, for the development. And uh, I guess, uh, Uri and uh, Eli, you might know a thing or two about rollups, ups uh, don't you? Um, can you explain why it's essential uh, to be uh, looking into that technology from your point of view? Yeah, what, what roll-up uh, does is it gives you much greater
0: scale um, to the blockchain that is Ethereum, so that it can tap into global demand. For instance, if today um, all citizens of uh, Europe wanted to buy their uh, a daily cup of coffee using blockchain, they wouldn't be able to do so. It would clog the blockchain and they would experience very high fees. What roll-ups allow you to do is to take off that computational load and allow people to buy their cups of coffee and interact over the blockchain.
3: Great. And one of the other things Vitalik was talking about was smart wallets and the importance of moving to smart wallets. Uli, um, what is so important about smart wallets? What do they let us do? Or by another name, we talk about account abstraction. What does this let us do? Yeah, so the the, the name I guess most people in the
1: Ethereum community are familiar with is, uh, is account abstraction which is really a, a remarkably miserable and, and obfuscating name for something rather intuitive. So uh, first, I guess we, we should appreciate the fact that with the use of private keys on blockchains, uh, th- that's a very powerful thing, a private key. And that's the good news, that's also the bad news, meaning if you lose control of your private key, you lose control of your funds. And account abstraction is basically uh, bringing in the logic, the business logic, and uh, to the process of, of managing and transferring your funds in a way that people expect. We don't need to apply a tremendous amount of imagination to what people expect there. They simply expect uh, the experience they have in Web2 to today. Yes, yeah, so uh, uh, smart wallets, or as they're still commonly known, uh, account abstraction in the Ethereum community, and w- which is really a, a particularly miserable name because no one understands what it means. But if you actually stop for a second and explain it to people, it's it's rather rather obvious. Uh, account abstraction is basically bringing to Web3 all the UX expectations that we all have from the world of, of uh, Web2. We want to be able to control funds. We want to be able to recover from all sorts of human errors in a way that uh, that we have come to expect.
3: Sounds like it will actually bring like a lot of emotional calm, because a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about losing their private keys, mislaying their private keys, being compromised, and it sounds like it will, kind of this functionality will allow us to all take a breath and go, wow, this is less stressful being encrypted. Yeah, That's
1: exactly it. And when I explain this to people, I, the, the message that I feel that comes across is when I say that this is the next step up in technology that would allow it to be used not by the people in the room, but actually by their parents.
2: Amazing. What a great way to start the conversation. And uh, before we get too deep into those things that you mentioned, I wanted to ask a bit of, bit of a personal question to you both. Ellie, you started off in blockchain from academia, and Uri, you were an entrepreneur, but then you're also a friend of Ellie's. How do you find the energy to push forward this blockchain technology revolution that we're seeing? And how do you get into the whole blockchain scene and web? Three seeing to begin with together?
0: Moving from academia to blockchain is very natural because um, blockchain is as close an atmosphere and an uh, ecosystem uh, to academia as you can find, meaning it's very meritocratic. People with smart ideas rise to the top. It's very uh, communicating, uh, even though there's competition be- be- between different teams. It's very much like in academia. So for me, moving from academia to blockchain was uh, really doing more of the same, but with uh, very smart developers. And it's just uh, increasing exponentially almost every day in the ecosystem that is starting it. the amount of brilliant uh, developers and researchers that are operating and building stuff is just so inspiring. And you asked about the uh, um, bear market or so on. Um, I confess that it's not evident so much within the ecosystem of Starknet. I don't know how to explain why, but there's a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of you know teams onboarding and new smart people coming over. So um, that's the impression I get.
3: Uri, you eat and breathe and sleep this stuff, uh, but you come from a very different world. How do you find the energy within Web3? How do you find the experience of being in this world? The The, the commonality between the different startups I've done over the
1: years was that they all had this Sort of significant technical challenge at the core, and what we're doing here certainly sort of qualifies in that regard. I love doing that because it, it tends to attract very talented people. Those those people typically like hard problems to sort of try and bite into, and we have an, an abundance of those uh, in the ecosystem, certainly in the Starknet ecosystem. And so, you know that that's that's the thing that makes it interesting and fun, and and
2: that's what gets me going. What about the current market situation? What's your vision on the so Wagme mentality and uh, how do you think the industry is coping right now with the bear market as well?
1: Yeah, so the, the Wagme mentality, uh, there are aspects to it that one uh, bumps into on crypto Twitter that I'm not a huge fan of. But uh, you know, I choose to take it to look at this from a slightly different angle. And that's to say that We're all going to make it in the sense that we're all putting in the energy and sort of intellectual effort into building this world and ecosystem. And if we succeed, I think we're we're going to make uh, some impactful things in terms of of leaving behind us an environment and a a world of computation where
3: a little less trust is required of of all of us. And talking of that, I mean, you're both fathers, how many children do you have between you? How do you kind of talk to your children and explain how the world might look? different uh, as they grow up because of this technology that you're pioneering. So the way, the way I uh, explain this to my kids is
1: basically uh, saying that currently in computation, at the end of the day, as, as we uh, encounter ever-growing magnitude of, quant- of computation in our lives, we're forced to trust a bunch of parties which are becoming increasingly powerful because they control not only uh, that computation, but the data uh, produced by those computations. Now, if if we have at our disposal a technology that allows each and every one of us with minimal computational power, namely the phones in our pockets, to verify the 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 crackness of, of those computations, that sort of shifts the balance of power somewhat. Now, you know, we're not naive. This isn't something that sort of uh, that completely alters the balance of power, but that does shift the balance of power somewhat back to individuals. And in that sense, uh, I think of it as a very
2: sort of democratic notion. And Eli, uh in terms of what Uri mentioned about making an impact, how do you think blockchain can make an impact in the next few years to come? So what's your vision, given where we are and what you're working on?
0: It's, yeah, it's a terrific question and, and a topic I'm very passionate about. Really, blockchains are examples of uh, integrity webs. These are networks that Are means to an end, and the end is to manage uh, things that matter to all of us, things like money, things like contracts, things like properties, things like our reputation, our social networks, in a new way. If you think about all of the things that I just mentioned, money, social networks, our reputation, our credit score, and so on and so forth, each one of these is right now managed by a centralized corporation, different ones. And this is an anomaly in time. This wasn't the case until um, a few years ago. And what blockchains or integrity webs are offering is a new way to take back the power, democratize it, and uh, have us really, each and every one of us, in control of our destiny, our information, and what matters to us. So this is what blockchains or these integrity webs are offering. And uh, what our technology helps is in dramatically expanding the scope and scale of blockchain so that they can take care of all of the social functions that we care about, money, purchasing stuff, basing our reputation, um, our social uh, status and contract, and so on and so forth. That's what we're doing.
3: So I I just want to kind of look for more of a concrete example of what you're saying, because you said it's an anomaly in time. So are we understanding correctly if you know A few decades ago, you wanted to purchase something from someone. You're giving the money directly to them. It's not running through a centralized bank. And in the same way, probably in in our social life, if I wanted to write you a letter, I would scribble it on a piece of paper. Somebody might deliver it to you, but that's that's peer-to-peer in the same way. Is that kind of what you're getting at and this is the revolution or actually restoring that, blockchain can restore that?
0: Yeah, so up till a few years ago... All of our financial interactions were with cash, with these pieces of papers and um, pieces of metal that that represented money, and they were peer to peer. There was no uh, central big party called Visa or a bank or a credit card company that intermediated these. And uh, same thing with our social status; it wasn't some wasn't the, the number of followers on a social network platform. And what blockchain is doing is that if it is offering new and more democratic ways for basing um, and implementing these social functions that matter to us, the things like payments, social status, and so on and so forth. And it's a much better way. It's also the historically chosen
3: and preferred ways by human societies. So the best of both worlds—the kind of peer-to-peer nature passed along with what technology gives us for today. That's exactly, exactly. as as we
1: expanded peer-to-peer networks from physical proximity, you know, in an attempt to make those global. The one thing that we had at the time to sort of uh, conform to is, is handing information or assets to some centralized party that we had to trust. We had to trust that party to, to relay that message over across the, the, the world to, to, to our counterpart. Uh, there's now a set of tools that allows us to uh, maintain that reach, that geographic reach, and still hang on to the very important sort of aspects of peer-to-peer communication.
2: And speaking of reach and perhaps adoption as well, I wanted to ask you, Uri, um just following up on what you said, what would be the next like, kind of step for adoption? Do we bring the technology to people or it will happen... Um, without the users even realizing that they're using blockchain technology? The approach we take is that
1: uh, we should focus on building the tools. We should focus on serving developers. And uh, there are many, many developers out there with a whole bunch of amazing ideas. And we're sure that that community will unleash all that creativity for the benefit of users. So we focused on solving the problem of scale. We're focused on solving the problem of UX, uh, namely through account abstraction, and we want to make sure that that platform is as decentralized and as secure as developers could hope for. So we want to put those tools in their hands, and basically at that point, our job is done.
3: Ellie, we've not actually spoken about this yet, but the proof system that all of this technology is using stop proofs. And you were co-inventor of this technology. It was at some point an idea on a whiteboard, scribbled down that people probably didn't take so much interest in at the time. Now we're sitting in an office with 120 people around you and you go to events where there's hundreds or thousands of people getting excited about this technology, building stuff with it. How does it feel kind of seeing all that happening with your ideas?
0: Obviously, it's very heartwarming and um it's a, a humbling and, um, well, uh, it's a good feeling. At the same time, there's this feeling of, um, it's a little bit like, you know, with with your kids or with, I guess, any uh, intellectual work that you put out there in the public, I guess, a book or a poem or a painting uh, or whatever it is, that now it just takes on uh, this life of its own. So, uh, and you sort of... Uh, even though you're among the, you know, the fathers or the predecessors or the inventors of this thing, it's uh, greater than you and your own contribution and just takes on a life of its own. So it's, it's a fun experience, but uh, there's also this loss of control over it in a good kind of way.
2: But that's the nature of the industry. That's kind of partially the whole point is to throw an idea and make sure that people catch on to it and take it further. I said this uh, several times to people here on the team that um,
0: success will mean losing control, right? Because if you think about it, like when you really succeed, like when an idea is really good, just becomes adopted by everyone or a tool or a technology. And then if that happens, it's not really yours anymore in the sense that it used to be because you're just one of many others. And I certainly feel this way with respect to Starks. I have no doubt, uh, you know, the co-creators, of uh, Cairo will feel the same way about it, and the uh, same thing will happen to all of us with Starknet. It will be much, much bigger than us. We'll be the proud parents, but it's going to take on a life of its own. It's much bigger than uh, what we can right now foresee.
2: Ori, what about sort of more practical use cases? Like obviously, the financial like aspects of it, like DeFi adoption, is the obvious choice for uh, the blockchain ecosystem to target. But what about other use cases? But it's not just about payments, right? It could be gaming, it could be DR, AR, it could be almost anything. What's your vision about the uh, future of this technology when it comes to widespread adoption?
1: Yeah, I think it is going actually to be everything. We're seeing a lot of excitement now around gaming, uh, specifically the gaming stack on top of StarkNet. Uh, it's called Dojo, and that's sort of a community-driven uh, effort which is garnering a lot of attention from, uh, from gamers and builders uh, around us. Uh, but I think we're going to see it in other areas as well. Giza is building uh, the, machine layer, uh, the machine learning stack on top of StarkNet uh, to sort of tie, tie these two very important tools together, right? To get the benefits of machine learning, but have that in a verifiable and trustless way accessible to all. So I think we're going to see a lot of creativity in the coming years.
3: And all of this is being built, all of this is being achieved um, through use of the Cairo programming language, now Cairo 1.0, which it wasn't actually so obvious at the start of this venture that you would be producing such a language. Tell me about what you see as the power of this language, Guri. Yeah, so it, it wasn't at all obvious when we started out and in fact, uh,
1: we were sort of dealing with a bare, bare metal, bare bone uh, uh, polynomials representing the business logic we were trying to prove at some point a few years back by now. Uh, it became apparent that that's just not a scalable process in terms of, of the humans involved and the individuals involved. Uh, a handful of druids all over the world that could, could deal with this kind of thing, and they too were terrified of making mistakes. And so they said, we need a programming language to make this accessible, to make this tool chain accessible to developers everywhere. And that's how Cairo was born. The focus there was to make verifiable computation or to bring the power of Starks to developers without forcing them to learn zero-knowledge proofs. In the process, what happened was that uh, we started actually building, and Cairo 1.0 is, we think, that language. We started just building a better smart contract language.
2: Well, thank you very much, Eli, Uri, and Nathan. And to all the listeners, stay tuned for what's coming next.